folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here, host of the show Sparkles for Better Messenger Health, a show all about the five dimensions of personal growth. And today I'm extremely excited to have Greg meeting on the show. Welcome, Greg. Hi, Christine. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm happy to have you. Now, you are a healer who helps leaders and entrepreneurs heal the anxiety, depression, chronic pain and trauma, they can't think or talk their way out of. Uh, and you did a lot of other things. Now tell me, I always ask anybody that question, how did it come that you're so passionate about doing what you're doing today? Yeah. The story. Well, I came to this body of work on my own journey, healing my own pain. Um, I have historically had a severe curve in my spine, scoliosis, so from early childhood was always suffering from chronic pain, uh, and then in adolescence and early adulthood, that was very much tied into pretty debilitating anxiety and depression, and, you know, after college, I realized that uh, self-medicating with alcohol wasn't really a, a good long-term solution. And I was inches away from antidepressants and pain meds. I thought that was, you know, all that was available. And I was introduced to healing more by serendipity. A friend was a massage therapist. And at the time, she offered me a massage, which I turned down because physical touch was just too painful. Uh, my chronic pain, I just did not want touch. And so she introduced me to energy medicine, which was something I had never heard of. Um, but I had implicit trust with her. So I was very much interested in, you know, giving that a shot. I realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. You know, my whole body just started to soften, you know, all this bound up tension that I, you know, that's just all I knew just started to soften and melt. And I was able to just take deep breaths. And I realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. So that was kind of, was like, kickstart of the journey. And then, you know, two decades later, I've kind of been able to piece together all these other, you know, aspects of healing into more of a comprehensive system that now I, you know, share and with my clients and teach my students. That's awesome. And you call it Prisma. What does it mean? What is it? Yeah. So Prisma is really a, a roadmap or owner's manual for our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so there's a trauma and neuroscience roadmap. Um, you know, I found that in my early years of healing, I was, you know, seeing therapists and healers, and I knew I was on the right track. I knew I was making some shifts, but I didn't really understand kind of the journey, right? I was just kind of along for the ride. So I've created a map that helps people kind of understand where they're at and where they're going. The seven Prisma pillars are kind of the drop pins on that map, just so you can, yeah, just have some context for, you know, this experience of healing. And then it encompasses somatic and mindfulness-based practices, which to kind of continue this metaphor is kind of the GPS that we need so we don't get lost while we're on this, on this journey. You know, and that's really the mind training to reorient from pain to possibility, right? Oftentimes our illness, we can organize an identity around our pain and our illness that can keep us really locked into um, hurt. Um, and then the last component is the energy medicine component, which I find is really the vehicle we need to heal the subconscious and unconscious mind that's kind of stored in our tissues, that's 
creating the chronic inflammation that's stagnating emotion, that's compromising immune function, that's creating the brain fog. And that's, yeah, really keeping us stuck. Hmm. A lot of people are stuck in that and our healthcare and mental health system has no real solution because all they give you a solution is usually what I call zombie pills. <laughs> and uh, sometimes therapy that is more or less effective. What's your solution? Yeah. And, you know, I want to acknowledge that sometimes pain and symptom management is necessary. Sometimes people have ha have lacked you know, access to deeper healing resources and have reached a point where their pain is so great that, you know, medicating it is helping them at least manage, uh, you know, at least get by. But unfortunately, I think a lot of folks are bought and sold that chemical imbalance is what's creating, you know, depression or anxiety. I don't like to use the term mental illness because I look at what you know, the medical system might term mental illness is really just unresolved trauma, right? But if we're taught that we have to treat the chemical imbalance, and that's the cause of, you know, our pain, our anxiety, our depression, then we're really missing the opportunity to understand that the pain is just the tip of the iceberg and unresolved trauma and, you know, a lack of a secure attachment is most likely at the root of a lot of our, our trouble. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really compelled to address the imprints of trauma that kind of take up residence in the physical body and are creating that stagnation. You know, I look at disease and illness as stagnation, and oftentimes medication is just suppressing, right, the symptoms that are trying to be expressed. And healing is really creating the climate for symptoms to express themselves so they're no longer held in the body and then the body can restore a, a dynamic movement and expression of health because it's no longer holding on to hurt. I love it how you say the dynamic movement of health because that's really what it is. It's in the flow. It's ups and downs. We are not constant like a machine and that's wonderful ebb and flow of life. Now, you talk a lot about trauma. Uh, the, the clients you see, what kind of traumas are the most common? Yeah, it's a good question because I think we think a lot of times trauma is, you know, coming, become, you know, a veteran from war or someone who has experienced, you know, uh, abuse or, you know, violence. And a lot of folks that I'm working with, it's, it's not that. Um, the trauma they're experiencing is often from, a lack of consistent, you know, reliable emotional attunement in early development, right? So that sense of neglect, that sense of abandonment where our needs were not being consistently met. So we had to start to hide or perform parts of ourselves to get our needs met, which sets up an entire <laughs> dynamic um, where you know, of, of survival, this hypervigilance around, you know, having to be somebody to be okay in the world and to get our needs met, which, you know, starts to have a, a pretty compounding effect on our behaviors and our beliefs and how we navigate the world. And I think that form of trauma is more insidious because, you know, those clients and students who come to me say, well, nothing bad happened to me. We're just not tracking the lack of the right nurturing input and care um, 
And especially in early development, you know, complex trauma, if we're not getting that care, on some level, we know something's wrong, but we also turn it around and then assume that we're not getting our needs met because something's wrong with us. So then it becomes kind of this compounded dilemma of now we've pathologized who we are, you know, so there's this whole shame dynamic um, around not getting our needs met. And so unpacking that it can be a journey. Now, let me ask you, are you a parent yourself? I'm not a parent. Um, because I, I have two kids and I'm asking myself, is it even possible for a human being that is a parent to raise children without producing that kind of trauma? Yeah. I, you know, I think we are doing the best we can to heal generations past. And I think even the most emotionally attuned parent, you know, we, we cannot be with our children 24 seven. So parts of their lived experience are not going to be tracked. Um, I recently, I forget, I forget the author. Um, but I recently read an article that, you know, if we can meet our child's needs consistently, at least half of the time, <laughs> they'll probably be okay. Um, but, you know, I think that's just part of the human experience, right? Um, so where do you see the role of forgiveness in that? Because when you notice, oh, my God, my parents, they didn't give me what I really needed growing up. But I know they tried the best. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I find forgiveness is a big component in healing. And I also pride myself on a trauma-informed approach to healing. And I find forgiveness is a happening, not a doing. And I find I am never coaching clients or students to forgive. Um, you know, some level of inner resolution needs to take place for that forgiveness to really be true and authentic. Um, and I think quick forgiveness can sometimes, you know, and my work, it's like, let's acknowledge the emotional impact of having these unmet needs, or if in the case of abuse, um, and is there a way we can do that without demonizing the other? So we're not getting into this triangulation of, you know, victim and villain and, you know, so yes, let's feel the impact, but of that lack of care, but also can we hold space that maybe everyone's doing the best they can with, you know, their wounds. So I do think forgiveness is a big piece. And I think I think there's a perception that forgiveness is like forgive and forget. And sometimes we can have forgiveness and still have very strong boundaries. <laughs> Absolutely. I sometimes tell my clients, well, sometimes it's good to have a transactional relationship with your family. Oh. And that means you talk to them, but you're not necessarily close to them. And that can be healing too. Now, I love that approach. Another thing that came up for me when I thought about that little baby, it's need not being met, which is a usual thing that happens because it's impossible for parents to totally satisfy a baby's needs. The question I have is when our needs are not always met and we have some emotional hardship, doesn't it kind of harden our minds a little bit and give us in the end more resilience? Can that happen? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think the essence of my work is helping people mine the gold of unresolved trauma so they can derive more meaning and more significance. And I think resilience is a big piece of that. I think empathy is a big piece of that. And I think that helps people kind of derive a, a deeper sense of, of purpose and place within their lives, you know, with the right support, right? Um, we, we can't, we're not meant to live in isolation and it's an uphill battle to heal in isolation. We're social creatures as mammals. And so we, you know, a lot of the imprints of trauma kind of fuel off of patterns of alienation and fear and a lack of trust. And so there's a lot of bridging into trust and connection. So a lot of repair can happen when we start to have new experiences that are showing us that something else is possible. Um, and yeah, I think the resilience is developed as we take risks to have a repaired experience that is counter to what was first modeled for us, you know, in earlier stages of life. Um, that takes a lot of courage. Courage for sure. And uh, you say, talk a lot about the stigma of mental health that should be removed. What do you mean by that? You know, I think that's even like kind of what I was sharing earlier. I don't even like to work with the term mental illness because I think it pathologizes, you know, our wounding, you know, okay, so there's anxiety, there's depression. And what if our anxiety and depression is actually a healthy response to an unhealthy environment, right? But right now, how we're treating it often in, you know, a one-on-one -on -one model instead of a community-centric model um, is you know, putting the weight of the healing journey on each individual. And absolutely, yes, we all need to find accountability and responsibility for who we are in our own lives. Yet there's so much more at play in this relational dynamic in terms of community and culture. And so, yeah, I, I like to think of anxiety and depression as maybe a sign of, of one's sensitivity to things that are not quite right in in the world um and i think as we start to locate that understanding then there's more space for us to be willing to lean in to do the healing because i think the stigma is prevents a lot of people from even you know wanting to acknowledge their pain mm, and just put a smile on top and say mm, everything is okay and then they jump off the bridge the next day which is a very sad effect that happens all the time yeah, we don't have a lot of space in our culture to acknowledge pain, right? And we're just rushing over it. And that's, you know, trauma is often too much too soon and healing is slowing down so we can start to broaden our window of tolerance and our capacity to be with what historically was too much, too overwhelming. And that's very counter to how we move in the world. And so in that sense, healing is really a subversive act um, because it's giving us permission to not put on the smiley face. And in some respect, we think that we need to put on the smiley face to get by in this world. So um, again, that's another act of- The sad thing is sometimes we do. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it is important to have flexible boundaries that in some relationships you put on your fake smile or real smile, hopefully, and in other relationships that are the honest one, like with a coach like yourself, 
you can let the guard down because you accept that even if you're not smiling or crying or feeling awful. And I think the more we develop, you know, I think healing is developing a relationship from ourselves to ourselves, right? Where we're no longer leaving ourselves. We're no longer abandoning ourselves. And I think the more we develop that relationship with ourselves, I think the more we are cultivating relationships that meet us at, at that level in the outer world. But sure, there may be certain environments, work environments, just other relationships where you kind of just show up and, you know, yeah, you're not wearing your heart on your sleeve. So there's a lot of discernment there too. And yeah, in terms of just forgiveness, but also still maintaining relationships with say some family members where there's been harm done. It's kind of like, you know, having a discernment that, you know, we we can't buy bread from a hardware store, right? We, And so it's just having the discernment that, oh, I'm not trying to get certain needs met from these relationships because those relationships aren't available for that, right? And what if there is an acceptance of that? And over time, perhaps even some peace with that, right? And I then discernment. A very important piece that many relationships have they think their partner has to fill all their emotional and physical needs. And often that's just not the case. And that's exactly what you're saying. And sometimes a good friend can fill more emotional or intellectual needs and the partner will fill your physical needs or whatever you choose. That's an interesting point. And I personally, if you hear the dog, that's my dog, Rudy. He's a little Pomeranian. He's an anxious, aggressive dog. Very interesting combination. <laughs> and, and I personally believe in the purpose of pain because as any pain has a purpose and physical pain makes you alert that there's something wrong that you have to address. And emotional pain often has the same purpose. Yeah. And you say, how do we turn pain into purpose? How do we do that? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us are looking for purpose externally. I think purpose has become quite a buzzword in, you know, the last decade or so. And I think that keeps this like outer carrot dangling in front of us. And that um, we think that something will be fulfilled externally. And I, I look at purpose as much more around intrinsic motivation and you know, I think healing helps us derive a, 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 a place of presence, right? An emanation of being. So purpose is not so much what we do, but who we are, right? And it's how we show up, you know, who we are informs our purpose. Um, so I have some folks that, you know, so some, you know, I, I've met students and clients and friends along their healing journey that some of them have had big career shifts and they've aligned more to this external purpose where career and purpose have matched up. And I have other folks who have, you know, been on a healing journey where they're still that same, you know, executive in a financial institution, right? Their role hasn't changed, but how they show up in that role is completely different, right? Oh, that's an so, interesting point. How, how is it different? You know, I think they're they're present, right? They they are just showing up as themselves. Um, you know, and yeah, they may need to, you know, posture and present in certain roles, but they're not conflating that those roles are who they are, right? They have a deeper understanding of who they are. 
And so there's power in that presence, right? It's a power with, it's a power for, it's more generative, it's more life-giving, it's not a power over, right? And that just helps us settle inside ourselves. You know, I think that's what I'm seeing with, you know, a lot of the folks I work with is just more grace and opportunity to just rest in one's essential nature, to not have to try to be something we're not. Um, there's a lot of freedom in that, right? There's a lot of aliveness in that. Absolutely. People that are themselves that are authentic, they usually, I say, sparkle. <laughs> That's my term for it. It's a feminine term. It doesn't really matter how you call it, but many people still live in that term. Oh, I'll be happy when blah, blah, blah. I have the bigger house, I have the bigger car, I have the bigger position. And that doesn't work, right? No. So you work a lot with leaders, executives, entrepreneurs, and help them to overcome their trauma, their chronic pain. Um, how do you do that with the prison method? What exactly do you do? Yeah, so a lot of the leaders that work with me um, are very much made of purpose, but they lack fulfillment, right? So in their in their work, they are kind of finding some emptiness, that burnout, that overwhelm. They've lost themselves along the way. Um, so it's really locating that perhaps they've been leading from a trauma response. They've been leading from a fight or a flight or a freeze or an appease response, likely not a freeze response, but, um, you know, and so there's these sophisticated survival strategies that they, that have been their primary operating system, which have served them to a certain point, but they reach, you know, their work with me while they're doing this cost payoff analysis. And maybe it is costing them more than it's paying off at that point. So yeah, my work is to help them understand and then kind of reverse engineer what is driving them so they can, again, locate more of that, that presence, um, you know, shifting kind of the behaviors and the beliefs that have been running them um, that can often be regressive and detrimental um, that are kind of leaving them in this over adrenalized stress state, right? This pedal to the metal mindset um, where we, they can find that maybe they can coast along, right? Put cruise control. Um, just thinking of one client in particular where they started to find their ability to kind of relax <laughs> and and that was actually terrifying for them because they thought, well, is everything going to fall apart if I actually relax? And right? don't do a lot all the time. And so that was a precarious phase of their healing where it was two steps forward and then one step back because, all right, relaxing feels good until it feels threatening, you know, but eventually they found that, wow, no, I can relax and my business isn't falling apart. In fact, it's growing but I'm actually getting more support. You know, I'm working better with my team. I'm working better with my partner. You know, I'm communicating more because again, so much of healing, once we've grieved the loss of what never was, right? These unmet needs, somehow it makes us more available to get our needs met in life, right? Yeah, the discernment right. where we can get it, you know? So then we go to the bread store, we need bread and we're not wasting time going to the hardware store, right? So it frees up a lot of awareness and so we're not having to you know keep walking into a brick wall um 
So yeah, I'm most, you know, and that's my journey before I came into this work. I was working in a nonprofit and as a leader was really suffering from that burnout and felt I had lost myself. And so I'm really compelled to help folks who are doing good work in the world, who are made of purpose, you know, continue to do that good work, but from a, a deeper place of, you know, leading, I think our humanity is our greatest asset, right? And if we look at, you know, just what's happening in the workplace today, you know, people are leaving in drones and, you know, because that, that human piece isn't being nurtured, it's not being acknowledged. And so what if we center humanity, right? So there's, you know, a, a whole new way that we can lead the future, but we've got to heal the past to do so. Now, getting back to you, uh, you also talk about overcoming the physical pain of having a curvature in your spine, scoliosis. Yeah. How did he do that? Because it's supposed to be a lifelong disease that only gets worse unless you do surgery. Um. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many doctors told me that, you know, this unraveling of my spine is impossible. Um, and, you know, I, I look at a lot of diagnosis and prognosis as um, limitations that um, if we start to believe and buy into those limitations, they'll become true. And so I think, you know, I think the lie of trauma is we can't and the truth of healing is we can. I like the imagery that the body, mind, and spirit are a symphony orchestra. And so when we're experiencing health, every tissue, every cell, every muscle, every memory, every belief are all parts of the symphony orchestra. And they're all tuned into one another. So they're all in harmony with one another. They're all communicating with one another. And in that there's a musicality of being, there is a harmony, there is a resonance. And that's when we're experiencing optimal health. So stress and trauma is gonna short circuit the nervous system. And then that communication is gonna start to break down and we're gonna start to create noise, right? And then that noise is hopefully just, you know, whispering at us at first, but if we don't pay attention to that noise, our symptoms, it's gonna start to scream and get louder and louder. So yeah, so much of healing is just breaking up that noise. So in my case, working with energy medicine, some of the unraveling in my spine was harmonizing unresolved stored emotions in my tissues to some hormones, to some beliefs. And as we started to process kind of the emotional residue of trauma stored in my body, then my body was no longer holding that posture. It was no longer holding those, you know, I like to think of like the costuming of the body, right? We can start to wear our wounds and how we carry our bodies, right? So when I was hunched over with this chronic pain, anxiety, and depression, it was very much this protective strategy. And as I started to resolve that wounding, well, then I started to locate a sense of safety within myself and within the world. So I, I didn't need to guard as, as, as much, right? So, you know, the connective tissue and fascia is what holds the bones and the muscles together, but it's also where we store trauma, right? So if we can help the body start to process the trauma stored in the tissues, then the tissues are no longer going to hold the body organized around pain and trauma. They're going to start to organize the body around just 
the truth of who we are, right? And again, that's the mindfulness piece comes in to help us identify that, oh, I'm Greg, I'm not my pain. And the more I can locate I'm Greg, not my pain, then the less my pain is organizing my entire body, mind, spirit, life, right? Right. Now, just a practical question, because I know that many listeners would say, oh, that man is full of shit. Let's take an x-ray and see if the spine is still crooked. Is it? I still have a curve in my spine, but it's not as severe as it was. Um, and to be honest, if people think I'm full of shit, that's fine, right? I'm not, <laughs> here, to, I'm not here to convince anyone of anything, right? There's enough people knocking on my door who have tried everything under the sun and are ready to heal and they want results. And that's what I provide folks. So when, when folks have tried everything under the sun and they haven't moved the needle, you know, a lot of my clients and students have found me when they're at their end of their rope. And so then they start to do more research and they start to kind of follow some breadcrumbs that lead them to, you know, solutions that may better meet their needs. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm totally there with you. And uh, I, I totally agree. Even if your spine is curved, that does not mean you have to be in serious Cornish pain. Yeah. And there's really no direct correlation between a physical deformity or a slip disc or whatever and chronic pain per se. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and science actually said chronic pain is produced in the brain. Yeah. So it makes only sense that by coaching like you do it and energy healing and all together, you can turn that pain response down or up. Yeah. Absolutely. It makes absolute sense. And, you know, and as a kid, I grew up with like chronic ear infections and strep throat, and there was nothing, I wanted nothing more than to go to the doctor, take a pill and get better, right? I did not want to participate in my health or my healing. I wanted someone to fix me because someone in a white jacket had the answers and they were the expert. And now I realize, yes, there's practitioners that have wisdom that I can draw from, and I'm not anti-Western medicine. I'm all for an integrative approach. Um, but I, that integrative approach, let's work with what works, right? Let's meet people where they're at. And oftentimes, if we start to address, you know, the subconscious and unconscious mind as it's stored in the body, then we don't need to treat the symptom, you know, which is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, and so, you know, I look at healing is really consulting the body's innate wisdom. And the body's innate wisdom is the expert in healing right? That innate wisdom is a term developed in chiropractic, which, you know, if we get a paper cut, there is a healing mechanism within us that sends the platelets and proteins and orchestrates all those biochemical transmissions to heal the paper cut, right? And it does so while we're sleeping. It does so while we're having this conversation. More importantly, it does so without us having to think about it. And so a lot of folks come to me too, because they've been talking about their trauma and traditional therapy. And hey, therapy has been a lifesaver in my life, not knocking it, but there's a time and a place and there's a limitation to everything out there. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some trauma. We can't think or talk our way out of, right? But there's practices that can help us align to that innate wisdom. When we start to break up the noise and help that symphony orchestra come back online, come back into harmony, then we're more aligned with that innate wisdom where healing just happens. And it, it really can be that simple. We're creating the climate for healing to just happen. 
And that's a beautiful approach. It's really the natural, the holistic approach. And it, it integrates well with Western medicine. Western medicine just would be open to it, which is a problem because holistic healers usually are open to Western medicine where it is appropriate. Yeah. But it is not always appropriate. And I think it should be more the choice of each person to seek healing wherever they see it fit the best. Absolutely. So if somebody watches this podcast to wrap it up or this video, and he says, well, what Greg says makes a lot of sense. How can they find you? What do they need to do when they want to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, prismamethod.com is where folks can learn about my online course and community. So that's where you learn the trauma and neuroscience roadmap. That's where you have the somatic and mindfulness-based practices, and you learn a foundational energy medicine training. Um, gregwhiting.com if you want to learn a little bit more about me, my background, or how to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. I work with clients over a nine or 12 month journey, or I also do one day like one-on-one -on -one retreats where we can, you know, build a foundational healing practice that, um, yeah, just kind of accelerates the healing. Um, I, I call it kind of a trauma-informed quantum leap in healing. So um, we're going to honor you where you're honor, where you're at, but give you a lot of tools to help you kind of, yeah, um, launch off with a lot of success. So gregwhiting.com, prismamethod.com. And I will make sure that those links are underneath the video and also in the description so that those people that are interested can just click on it and go there and have a check and maybe contact you if they're interested. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Greg, for being on the show. It was fascinating to speak with you about natural healing, which is a big passion of myself. And uh, for those who listen and watch, thank you very much for watching the show and make sure to tune in for the next episode. Bye-bye.